From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Well, today is super special and we have the fabulous Yana Pittman here with us today. Welcome, Yana. Thank you, Lisa. It's lovely to be here with you. It's a fellow ACCF ambassador, but that's about the only thing I have in common with you, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been an Olympian. That's okay. There's a lot to be said with uh, not doing crazy things to your body and the wheelchair I'll probably end up in by the time I'm 60. So, <laughs> I do look at you as a superwoman. You are extraordinary. How many children do you have now? I'm up to number four now. So I do. I just love having babies and I feel very lucky to have been able to have the four little ones that I've got. My youngest is only five months old, so almost six months. So it's, uh, it's definitely a busy time at home at the moment. Yeah, fantastic. Yana, how has your voice led you here today? In what way? I suppose we're t- for you, we're talking more about that internal voice. The well, it drives you. I think my internal voice is always running is in truth. So there's a lot of chatter going on behind closed doors in my mind, but I think in some ways that serves me well because I think – I think I think a lot around what's going on in life and um, the goals and opportunities that I want to achieve for women as a whole as a now as a doctor. So I'm studying to be a gynecologist. So I think therefore having that sort of active brain is um, allowing me to, you know, have a voice in, in the chosen field that I want to be in. Yeah. Okay. You're, you said the voice is always running in your head. Is, is that connected to the fact that you have been a runner do you think (laughs) (laughs) running is the only time I have no um have no mind chatter as you would say so it is the one time it's probably why I love to run is that I actually allowed that my brain to switch off during that time so um even today you know post I'm many years post retirement now and I went for a 3k run today and that's what it is it's just bliss of emptiness whereas the rest of the day I'm very consumed by thoughts which for me as I said is a positive I, I definitely used to get scared of it when I was younger having so much activeness is the brain, especially at night. But now I, I, I find that it's just my inner conscious sort of dwelling on things and, you know, reliving things and, and going over and learning lessons from things. So, um, but yeah, it's funny that, yeah, running is, is in the blood. So when you run, you stop thinking. Yeah. When you think you're not running. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Interesting. When did you first realise that you have a voice that can help other women? Look, I think it comes from the privilege of being an Olympic athlete and therefore having a small profile within this country um, because it means that people already know you a little bit. So, uh, and then obviously having the wonderful genetics from my parents to have a brain that works um, and has given me the the boost to become a doctor because it was definitely one of the hardest things intellectually to achieve was to finish medical school and especially with the, with the three little kids. So I think having the combination of being a little bit known to people and then also having the medical knowledge allows me to really voice in areas that I'm extremely passionate about. And probably that, that helps as well is that I am very passionate about women's health and advocating for women's voice and um and our ability to be you know um, successful in the workplace and as a mother and balance and have it all kind of thing um and 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 obviously as i said as a a doctor in the medical um fraternity to be actually able to talk about certain health aspects that uh, us women really need to be better at fantastic have you ever been afraid to speak your truth 
Oh, I think many years. So uh, for some context around it, I was a, I made the Olympics when I was only 16, so I was very young um, and I was always a bit of a dorky kid. <laughs> Didn't have a, a lot of friends because at the time, if you think back to then, I was studying full-time to hopefully be a doctor and I was also already training for the Olympic Games. So my social life was now, not a, not really non-existent, um, and it, but I still had that inner desire as most humans do to, to want to be liked and to have friends. So as the media sort of started coming around in circles and and um, and giving me the the you know the kudos I guess for some of the performances I had, um, I found that really that a really challenging period because I was always wanting to be yes talk about this and talk about that and show what life's like and show how many hurdles you can get over and and you know overcoming barriers and things like that, um, and it wasn't always well received in truth. So I think at times I definitely copped some negative media because I didn't know when to stop talking. Um, I may have, was, I was very authentic and very open with the messages I was delivering. And funnily enough, in this day and age, it's that's, that's really loved. But 20 years ago, that was like, Oh, that's a bit taboo. <laughs> so um, it, there would be, it would have been a good five or six years where I, completely shut off from any of my truth. So I was very guarded with what I said to the media. I was very even guarded with what I said to myself. So I became someone who was a, 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 an inch tall compared to where I was as a, you know, a monster of a woman in the past. So it's interesting to go through a period of like that where you squashed your personality, hoping that people would like you more, uh, only to realize that you didn't like who you were. <laughs> and therefore, um, as I've matured and, and, you know, I think now become a mother and, and, and as a doctor, I feel like now that authenticity and, and speaking my truth to myself and to others is um is a valuable a valuable part of me that's a good point you raise that it's changed in the last 20 years the fact that it's really accepted and and wanted that people mm. do speak their truth what do you think has been the catalyst for that what's the change that's happened Social media has definitely played a huge part in that um, because, we, I mean, we we see a lot of positive. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people who still put mostly positive stories out on social media and they're definitely hurting inside and we need to reach out and help those people. And it's hard to know which ones, which of our friends are actually the ones posting the positives when they actually feel hard sadness inside. Um, but I think definitely over the last few years we've seen, you know, seen so many things happen, particularly in Australia with with bush bushfires and floods and drought and COVID and and so many things this country's been through. And and you know, and we have it great in Australia compared to some of the nations in the world who are, who are fighting wars and you know every day their life is at stake. But so, so I think it's a generational change. I think our youngsters coming through are just more in touch with their feelings. Uh, maybe as parents we have fostered that to a degree. Uh, it also comes with uh, less discipline, <laughs> seeing in my own children. Um, but I think in truth it was needed because we are all human. We all make incredible mistakes along with the incredible highs and successes that we have. And to be able to have those good moments and those successful moments, you have to be able to break and let the negative stuff out of your system because otherwise you're plagued the whole of your life with all the negativity and you are, it's impossible to move past that haze. I do think that the, that one of the other leaders was that the fact that Olympians did start to talk about what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, that, actually, that's a really good point because we did a, a great interview a couple of years ago and Lauren Jackson and Libby Trick and quite a few um, very high-profile um, athletes certainly talked about their battles with depression, um, during sport even. So we often hear it post this post-sports career where athletes don't feel like they have a future to go to and therefore it's a challenge to find their path in life. Um, but it was it was very surprising to hear that 
that many of them actually suffered during their career as well. And perhaps that's a, a personality trait, you know, someone who's so driven for success also has those demons they carry with them. Um, it may be that a lot of us particularly, I mean, I can speak as myself as an elite athlete, I'm very guilt driven in some of my goals. So for example, you know, if you get given 10 reps to do, if I do nine, I'd be wrecked with guilt that I only did nine out of 10. I'd prefer to do 11 and make sure that I covered all the bases that were required. Um, so, you know, those there, there are definitely personality types that are more prone to having, um, you know, mental health issues. Yeah. Do you like the sound of your own voice? No, I hate it. <laughs> I speak way too fast. And I, it's funny because I've, I've done several podcasts, you know, lots of podcasts now, and sometimes I listen to some of them back and I think, gosh, you need to slow down. You need to sound more educated. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's that's what we are, aren't we? We're, all, we're our worst, we're our own self, worst critics of ourselves. Um, and you just know. another thing for us to hate on. Exactly. Every, it, you know, it's a, it's a new aspect. Most of us didn't tape ourselves 20 years ago. So that's um, right. I've always hated the sound of my voice on television and, and radio, but, you know, it is who I am and sometimes I have some good things to say. So, um, you know, I just have to accept this is who I am and what I sound like. Yeah. So I use Oprah as an example. If, if Oprah's voice was a colour, what colour do you think Oprah's voice would be? Rainbow to me. She's got a most, I love her, oh, chocolate. It's a beautiful, beautiful, rich warmth in her voice. I love Oprah. It's got, <laughs> it's got that texture, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I, that, I grew up with Oprah. I do have a, a, a soft spot for her. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah. What woman's voice was the biggest influence in your life growing up? Uh, oh, that's a challenging one. Probably my mother's would have to be predominantly because we spent so much time together. This woman put her entire life on hold for me, in all truth. So the minute I started to show any signs of athletic ability, she pretty much finished her job as a teacher. So she would finish at three o'clock, pick me up from school and drive me to training and back from training for four or five hours every day. Like mm-hmm. now that I have kids and I realize how big that commitment is and how boring it is sitting on the start, on the start, you know, on the, on the sideline while someone's training different racing. It's love to, lovely to watch your kids compete and race or play games, but training is very boring to watch. <laughs> and she did it day in, day out for years and years. And, and in those moments, she showed me such character as a woman, you know, she was a, a full-time mother in, in that, in that aspect, as well as still teaching. Um, and the conversations we had were fantastic. Um, all about everything in life. She's, she's a very educated woman um, and, uh, and has some amazing stories from her immigration from Holland to Australia and, the, you know, the six brothers and sisters she's got and her amazing parents who I also admire greatly. Um, but, yeah, so outside, and outside of my own family it would have been Debbie Flintoff King who was also the um, Olympic gold medalist in this, my, my event, 400 Hurdles. Um, I had the privilege of training with her husband as my coach and living with them for, for six months and she is just everything you would think of as an Olympic gold medalist. She is extraordinary, passionate, driven, no stone left unturned. Yeah, remarkable. These these people, these influences that we have in our life, I believe, leave a legacy. And if we close our eyes, we can still feel the conversations. And I would imagine that you've had countless conversations and you know that they're inside of you. What colour would you say that their voices are then? My mother's is purple because... It has that soft touch to it, but it also has, it can change between sort of a, a rich violet to a soft purple because she can be quite, she, she's a bit like me. She's got quite an aggressive tone to her voice and she stands up for herself as a woman, but she's also got this such lovely, soft, compassionate side. And Debbie, I, I only I only see her as gold for <laughs> <laughs> what she is and, and how extraordinary she is and how strong and powerful she is as a woman. 
beautiful and you can have so many variants variant colors of gold so then in in uh, reflection what color is your voice i have no idea um <laughs> i'd have to say orange <laughs> accf orange i was gonna say accf <laughs> um, i think i've got a i'd probably say it is orange i have a I know that I have a huge energy in my voice. So I, I have a huge energy in life and a huge passion for just living and, you know, chasing goals and, and, uh, and achieving, you know, hopefully achieving amazing things in both medicine and, and athletics and, and also being trying to balance it all with, with being a mother. And so I think it's a very neutral color. You know, I'm not particularly feminine. I'm not particularly masculine. I'm a bit quirky. And I think therefore orange sits quite nicely in that color, in that. Uh, yes, that that's great. And I do think you're probably sunset orange, you know, that really. <laughs> that comes yes. through. So there's so many different variants in there. Yana, why do you think women find it so difficult to find their voice today? Hopefully it's getting easier as people like yourself do stories like this and talk to women who are successful and use their voice for, for good and for bad. Um, but I think judgment is probably the number one reason because we are all afraid of being, well, not all, because I'm speaking purely for myself here and for many of my friends and colleagues when we've discussed this topic, we are definitely afraid of being judged or being abnormal. Um, it is much easier to be going with the flow of traffic rather than trying to go against it. Do you think that it's something that has been passed through the generations and it's in, in ourselves that we just this is what we do as women we don't speak up oh good point look i think certainly 50 years ago that would be the case um you know i am i don't get me wrong i'm, I'm not a particularly strong feminist or anything but i do feel like women are having a stronger voice or we're trying we're really i've been to some incredible luncheons women's luncheons recently one of them was the remarkable woman a few weeks ago where i heard julie bishop speak and um and the the, the people who ran it were just very powerful strong women showing that you know we need equality in the workplace and a voice on the board of, of businesses and um and it's funny because my husband and i were talking about it and he's saying that you know 70 percent of law graduates these days are women and there's definitely more than 50 percent of us uh, female doctors graduating from medical school so the tides are shifting in that we have to have more of a voice purely because we are more dominant in the workplace these days. Not yet. I know we've got a long way to go. Um, and But because of some very strong women who are prepared to stand up and talk about that um, aspect, then hopefully that voice will become more common in that place. Which brings me to another point that just because this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, just because we've been given permission to speak doesn't mean that we necessarily have the confidence to speak up. And I do believe that there's so many different layers to the female voice, whether it be uh, you're healthy, your hormones are in check, your mental state mm -hmm. is is in balance. Um, and someone like yourself who's so disciplined and gone through so many different challenges in your life and put yourself on the cutting block, would you agree that it really does take a lot of practice? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen. You can't just fake it till you make it. On multiple levels. Um, I mean, you definitely can practice, as you say, and become better at it. I hate public speaking, which is strange because everyone's always thought, oh, I love the media and I love the attention. But standing up in front of people is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Not in a bodysuit, don't mind running in a two-piece in a stadium full of thousands. <laughs> but as soon as I have to talk about myself or my story, I find it extremely hard. And most of it comes back to the imposter syndrome of thinking people in this crowd aren't going to like me or they're going to judge me or they're not going to believe me. 
that kind of background initially. And also just thinking that my story wasn't good enough or wasn't valuable enough to be on the stage. So it took a long time. And often it was extrinsically driven at first where people would come afterwards and say, wow, your story's so amazing. And gosh, you're good at what you do that I actually became. So I did have to fake it till I made it for a little while. I had to pretend I was really confident and, you know, loving being on the stage until it became real. So I think there's a bit of both in the words why I said there's layers. I think there is definitely training where you become better at it by doing it and putting yourself outside of that comfort zone. But I love the point you said before about it, that there's multifactorial in that if you are having a bad day, I did a, a talk a couple of weeks ago and it bombed. It was one of the worst talks I've ever done. And it was the same deliverance of, of as, as usual, but it was an online talk. So there was no feedback from the audience. Yes. And I realized how much I, um, even being able to talk to you, like looking at your face, it makes it so much easier to talk when you've just got a blank screen there. It, it was it was hard to be animated and hard to be part of the, the you know, the environment that you were trying to portray. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so you learn, you live and you learn and you change, so, you change your voice. Can I ask you then, because that would say to me that you love to feed off energy, which, I do. Is, which is true. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? Um, honestly, it depends on the day. So I'd say naturally introverted in that I find it extremely uncomfortable to make new friends, to be out in public situations and having to put myself into um, judgment situations. But I've definitely grown more extroverted due to the media and due to the career I've, I've had. So as a child, I was a, definitely a bit of a loner. I was more than happy to hang out in the library and do my studies and things like that. But with that deep underlying, oh, I really want to have friends kind of scenario, but just not really know. A bit, I guess a bit of social anxiety is, is something I've had all my life. Um, so therefore, I sit much more comfortably introverted inside in my own thoughts, mm. working really hard on some type of, you know, some research project and, and playing with my kids. That is far my happy point. Mm. Um, yeah, but I am definitely becoming more loud and, you know, extroverted in some of my mannerisms. You mentioned the imposter syndrome, which is, you know, it's a really big issue and it stops people from moving forward and I know that you're you've got your medical background now and really forging forward in that one of my beliefs and understandings having had cancer twice is that food and hormones imbalances play a big part on mental health can you deep dive and give us what your opinion is on that Oh, I mean, you know, I've done research into this, working with people in in the in who've had cancer in a survivorship, post cancer period, and and one of the strong, resounding things that came out of that was people who uh, were able to exercise and eat well and focus on those inner aspects of themselves, whether it just was because they felt they had more control. I mean, you, you're someone who can definitely speak from experience more than I can in this aspect, but they seemed to have whether the, whether the whether the surgical and the actual outcomes of their cancer were any better. You know, I can't speak for that, but certainly their psychological outcomes seem to have been greater having that balanced lifestyle. And don't get me wrong, it's really hard to find. It's hard to find the right balance because I am one for chocolate. I believe in having a bit of chocolate every day, <laughs> whereas others would say, that, well, that's not disciplined. That's, that, that is not good for you. That is sugar. And that doesn't, you know, that is a definitely a cancer causing agent. Um, but for me, it is, it is my happy place. It's my little time and my little space out for myself. So I think ultimately it's, 
for, from a psychological perspective, it's what sits well with you, what sits happy in your heart and what you feel is the right commitment to yourself with some added knowledge. For example, having a nutritionist guide you around good nutrition or naturopath, whichever area you sort of believe is strong. Um, exercise for me is fundamental. And I can tell you the days purely from personal experience, the days I don't exercise, I'm a grumpy cow to be around. Flat out, that's what it is what it is. So I it's, it's really interesting because my final year of medical school, um, I was trying really, really hard to get high marks in my in my final year. Um, and every other year I exercised profusely during training. And I knew, and I, and I often talk about it in public speaking, you've got to exercise if you want to be um, successful in whatever you do, work, business, study, whatever it is. But for some reason, I didn't listen to myself and I sat down for six months and practically studied all day. And when there was like an hour spare, I studied instead of trained and I was in the dumps. The marks weren't, I mean, I ended up doing really well anyway, but the marks were nowhere near what I had been in previous years. I felt yucky. I put on 10 kilos. My mind was clay, like really full of clay and, and, and clogged up. And it was, it was such a great reminder that for me, a walk, a run, lifting some weights, the adrenaline, the endorphins, the positive energy that comes from that is essential to balance in life. Absolutely. And some of the ladies that I work with, you know, that are working on strengthening their voice, I can work with them for six weeks and then suddenly they'll tell me that they've got a fibroid the size of a child inside of them, you know, and and they say that's going to have a major impact. Do you, have you seen that kind of um, evidence in some of your studies that for me, the voice reflects that reproduction area down there. And so if if you've got endometriosis, if you've got something going on with your um, reproductive system, reproductive system, there's going to have an impact on the, on the physical voice. It's an interesting topic and it's certainly not in my research area. Um, I've seen it in sport, hundred percent. I've seen it, for okay. example, in uh the body is not clever enough, to be honest, to know the difference between physical and emotional trauma. So if you are, as an athlete, if you are having off-life emotion, so like, for example, I went through a yucky divorce and I lost a couple of babies, miscarriages and stuff during my athletics career, I would fundamentally be injured within a week of those big events happening. And because it's the stress and the hormones and the imbalances all coming out in the physical. Um, and, you know, I guess it makes sense because you're tired, you're fatigued, you don't eat as well like there's a whole lot of things that are sort of falling apart around you and it became so obvious every time I had a had, had an issue in life I had to actually back off the intensity of whatever that was whether it be intensity in my study or intensity in my in my training to ensure that I counted for the fact that my body needed a break and my mind and my soul needed to recover and understand the process of what had just happened so understand a diagnosis or understand why the fibroids there or something like that so it wouldn't surprise me that the body is clever enough or not clever enough to uh to divulge, you know, to, to hold on to that that trauma or that information. And do you um, think that that's a common thing that women generally do? They, you know, have a miscarriage or they have issues, fibroids, whatever's going on, and they just push through. They don't actually absolutely. allow them t- themselves that time. That's one of my biggest messages. So when I do a lot of my talks now, one of my biggest messages is, you know, majority of things that happen to us are not our fault. You know, we don't, none of us wake up in the morning and want to have a miscarriage or, or get cancer or, you know, develop a fibroid or have a prolapsed uterus. None of us want to go through that. And we're not actively 
sabotaging ourselves to go into that, or most of us are not actively sabotaging ourselves, but unfortunately it happens. It's very common. Miscarriages, fibroids, prolapse are probably the three of the most common things we see in my gynae clinics that I've been working in recently. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, one of the concepts is that yes, allow the pain to feel it at the time. If you bottle it up, push it away, all it's going to become is a big bear you're carrying on your back. Mm -hmm. So as I said, with the chocolate and things, I've always been a big believer that some days I wake up and I just feel crap. So that little voice inside my head is saying, Oh, you don't feel too good today. Oh, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. Why, you know, it's rainy out there. Why go for a run? Now, most motivational speakers would say to you, push past it. Don't listen to the voice attack with gusto. You've got to overcome it. Well, I actually say it's a message to yourself that something's not right. So go for a light walk instead of a run just a little bit and have a time, some time to think about what your body's really trying to tell you and allowing yourself to perhaps break for one day, perhaps having a binge movie episode for one day, providing you're able to then reach out to someone and get some help may right at the beginning, rather than bottling it up, may actually be a key to stopping it escalating and snowballing down a big hill. Absolutely. Yana, I can hear you touching on what I like to affectionately call my woo-woo hippie. <laughs> now, you've, you've studied Western medicine. You're, you've been in the thick of this for years now. And I can sense there's a few Eastern philosophies coming through. Do you – are you marrying those two worlds together? Where do you Why? sit there? I'm trying really, really hard because I'm a hypnobirthing, if I had a choice, probably a home birthing. You're um, a woo-woo hippie like me. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm 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 really, you know, I'm a I'm a co-sleeping, breastfeeding, hypnobirthing mum, yet I want to be an obstetrician where I'm gonna be having medicalized births of you know, cesareans and and inductions of labor for the right women. So it's a really, really hard a hard marry between the two. Um, but I guess the best example I can give is that, and the lucky, and it comes back to Debbie Flintoff King, who we also talked about. She was a naturopath and she was very strong into meditation and healing from uh, from using naturopathic herbs and and, and meditation um, that the Athens Olympics, a lot of people believed I didn't even have a knee injury uh, and I did have opera- an operation. And then Debbie and I meditated for hours and hours and hours a day to try and heal that knee in time to run at the Olympic Games. And I, ca- I only came forth at the Olympics, but I thoroughly believe it was a a beautiful combination of both of both styles of medicine because we we healed internally and externally mm. so, it was so you're amazing. going to approach when you know when you're actually practicing now aren't you yes i am yep so do you actually meld those two worlds so if someone's coming to you and they've got fibroids you're actually you know addressing what's going on in your world as far as maybe you need to go and do some meditation <laughs> not as yet but it's probably a good reminder for me to do so i think i'm too junior at the moment at the moment i'm just making sure i don't make mistakes <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. so I, I i take the case at the moment i see a, a patient and i do a full workup and then obviously i have a senior who will then help me make decisions but i certainly do in the obstetric world so i've had lots of wonderful opportunities because I'm junior and don't have I have a little have a little more time than the consultants do where I'm able to sit and fully go through birth plans with women who have been told they must have a cesarean for example and their inner voice is saying to them no I don't believe in cesareans I don't even want to be induced I don't even want to be in hospital you know this is so difficult this concept how can I have a have a, a beautiful cesarean or you know a relaxed or a, you know, a hypno cesarean and we talk about 
in depth the why. What's her body doing? What's the baby doing? What's the safest? And in the end, we end up putting, you know, meditative music in the cesarean, turning all the lights down in the room. And it's me that goes and advocates for those women, which is something I love to be a part of. And I've had some wonderful feedback from the women that it's, you know, it, hopefully down the track, if I do qualify as, a, as an obstetrician, I can marry the two worlds more effectively. Do you think... And, and I have to say, I admired you before, but now I'm I'm melting with, oh my goodness, you're just, I'm, you are so oh, amazing. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Um, do you think that there is a shift happening in Western medicine to be at least open to a little bit more Eastern philosophy generally? Absolutely. Well, certainly within within my circles. So, um, look, maybe it's not enough, but I was having this conversation with my chiropractor last week. Cause again, I believe in, so I see a chiropractor weekly. Um, and I was having terrible migraines and I thoroughly believe that, you know, different types of medical styles will not just basically don't just chuck Panadol down. I, I went, That's I wanted right. to know why I'm, <laughs> what I'm, was going wrong in my, in my body <laughs> before I chucked in the medicine. So, um, I think at my, my medical school, for example, we had a couple of opportunities where chiros came to speak, naturopaths came to speak. Uh, we had we got to come, podiatrists came in, we had speech therapy and, and lots of different, you know, I, I guess it's not Chinese medicine and, and herbs and things like that that necessarily like from a naturopath perspective, but it's getting better. So it's not just textbook medicine. It's we are collective medical practitioners holistically. So at some stage, we're going to rely on all of us. We're all in the team together. It's about patient-centered care. It's no longer about physician-centered care, which is us, the doctors. It's about what is going to be best for this patient. And certainly in, in areas like cancer, it needs a multifaceted approach. I'm so excited to hear you talking about that. You know, I, I believe in a chiropractor as well. If I have a sore throat and I have done this for 30 years, I go to the chiropractor. Yes, me too. <laughs> straight away. There's straight away something going on in yeah. and around that area. There's a blockage and I never, ever have to have anything else that fixes it in one treatment. So well, I do both. So I'm a big believer that the doctors, I, I'm, our GPs in Australia are incredible. And mm -hmm. if I can't fix it with that, then I have just put a bug off the person next to me and sometimes I'll need help. So I, I'm definitely oh, absolutely and in the middle and um, I, but I, I try the non-medical first. I'm also obviously a big believer in trying to reduce antibiotics. So, you know, antibiotic stewardship, we call it, which means we don't hand them out as, you know, too often. Mm. Um, and certainly things like COVID last year has really shown us how quickly a virus or, you know, if it was a bacteria, a superbug could, uh, could make a huge difference to our, to our population and our, and our people. So um, I hope it's a, a nice marriage between the two. Yeah. That's really exciting to hear. What advice would you give women to reconnect with their voice today? Just listen to it. It's quite simple, really. I think uh, we are more intuitive than we think we are. And sometimes it just takes, I think you hear it most when things aren't going well, funnily enough, but that's the time when we turn off most often. So I think if, if you're going through something that is really tough, use it as an opportunity to work out who you are and work out what that what that voice is trying to say to you. Um, I kind of liken it to hunger. These days we don't get hungry anymore, so we don't listen to our inner body saying, hey, I'm hungry, feed me, because we eat so often that we rarely get that, that grumble in the tummy. So your voice is the same. We are in a cushy environment quite often, yet we still have so many psychological barriers and things to overcome. Um, and regularly we say to ourselves, oh, but I live in this beautiful country. I've got no reason to be sad or I've got no reason, nothing to overcome. Um, my problems are small comparatively, but I think it's sometimes you just need to sit down and go, yes, but they're my problems and I need to think about them and let that little voice come out and, and find out what's most important to you. 
Absolutely. It's all relevant, uh, but sometimes we overthink it is, don't we? It can be quite simple and just it just needs attention. That's right, just some attention. I love that. Just, and, and, and my favourite word is tenderness. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love it as well because we don't have anywhere near enough tenderness no. to oneself. No. How do you want people to feel when you step off that stage after you've been speaking? Uh, introspective, in truth. I want them to have a good think about who they are. And I hope through my failures and many of the hurdles I've had to overcome, excuse the pun, that <laughs> they are able to have a good look at themselves and realise that they are wonderful and that they are capable and that they are human and that we all we all go to the toilet, we all make mistakes and we all have the ability to be successful if we just allow ourselves to be. Absolutely. Yana, one last question before we go, because I know that you're going to get back to your beautiful family. What's next for your voice to reach your fullest potential in this lifetime? I've got a few things to overcome from a voice perspective um, in terms of, for example, medicine is very hierarchical and I have to learn to grow through that system. I'm still very nervous around senior consultants and doctors, even though I feel like sometimes I do have good inspiration and good things that could help our health system. And the biggest thing is I've still got to conquer that external opinion. So no matter how hard I try, I still want to be liked and I still struggle with judgment. Um, I've accepted that in myself now, but it's still something, there's still that little voice that sometimes tells me, you're not quite, you know, not quite where you should be. And I am learning to just love that little voice and go, yeah, but we're doing all right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's part of who I am. And I hope that that makes me empathetic towards others because I know that that is just vulnerability coming through. Yana, I wish you every success in your future. And again, I'm super delighted that you are showing the medical world a new way. And I know that you're going to bring a new light to what's going on. So thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan-Bell and together we are the woman's voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.